Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. The message title is Work and Identity. Work and identity. And if you want to follow on the app, you can do that. So there's some filling in the blanks on the app and the scriptures are there as well. Let me ask you this. Is your occupation purposeful? Do you have a sense of fulfillment when you are working, when you're, when you're, when you're doing what you do? You feel like you're fulfilling your calling through it. See, many of us, we feel as though we can't experience the level of fulfillment in our lives, the level of purpose and meaning that we desire to experience, unless we have a new job or a new career because we're not feeling it right now. Now, we know that a good and honest work is a blessing. And work is a big part of our lives. We, many of us, we, we have, some of, some of you are here because of work. You've moved because of work. We're willing to travel for work. We're willing to leave our families, our hometown, and go to a place that we don't know anybody and, and, and form a completely new uh, social uh, and relational uh, uh, context because of work. And that's not bad. In fact, the scriptures, they encourage us to work. There are many passages throughout the scriptures that encourage diligent work. Here's one from Proverbs uh, chapter 6. Go to the end, O sluggard. It's an encouraging word for you this morning. If you don't know what sluggard means, it means lazy. Go to the end, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, this was written in an agrarian society, and most of us are far removed now from agrarian society, but we're not severed from it, right? We still need fruits and vegetables and grain, and, and we need meat, and we need, we need farming to exist, to survive. We all still depend on farming. The soil still needs to produce fruit, vegetables, vegetation, grain to survive. And if we don't work the land, or we don't pay somebody to work the land, that's essentially what you do when you go to the grocery store, Right? And you buy your, your apples and your bananas and your milk and your eggs. You're not only paying the grocery store, you're paying the farmer that worked the land. If we don't work the land, we won't survive. And that's what this scripture is saying. That we ought to, we ought to understand that unless we work, we won't survive. So for that society, for, for the reader, the primary goal, the primary motivation for work was survival. Survival was the motivation. If you don't work, you don't eat. And that's the way it's been for millennia. Probably until the Industrial Revolution. Because since then, 
because of the immense prosperity that the free markets have brought to the world in the last 250 years or so, we now have the immense privilege of working for meaning. We not only work to eat, but we have the privilege of having the, the, the choice of what we're going to do with our lives and work for meaning. And whatever line of work you're in, if you're in education, construction, healthcare, retail, finance, your work has some kind of effect on you. And your work has some kind of effect on someone else. And that can bring you meaning. That can bring you fulfillment. So the scripture here that is encouraging everybody to work hard and to not be a sluggard is very important and very um, fundamental to life on this planet. But I think that for our culture, we have taken that seriously and even more so. Because we are, most of us, the vast majority of us, are hardworking. And we work more than we should. And we, we, we apply ourselves. And so, because of that, I think that we can give our jobs undue importance. And some of you, you might love what you do. You really love what you do. You live for it. It's amazing. Uh, maybe, and, and some of you, you might not love so much what you do. And you might be praying under your breath, please tell me to hate my job. All I need is a pastor to tell me that it's okay for me to dislike my job. I think that sometimes, at times, whether your job is permanent and you love it and you're going to do this for the rest of your life or it's something temporary that you're still moving toward the thing that you want we can give our jobs undue importance we can make the mistake of drawing identity our persona our sense of self from our occupation and we can feel deeply frustrating frustrated when our occupation does not produce the level of fulfillment that we desire. And I believe that much of our common frustration, not only those of us here in the room, but people that you work with, people that you, that you are uh, uh, related to, our common frustration is rooted in our identity. And there are a lot of conversations about identity these days. People find all sorts of sources for the, their identity in different areas of life. People draw identity from family, their family name, their history, their education, their politics, their gender, their sexuality, their race. And most definitely we draw identity from our jobs, our careers. And all those, those things may be part of your identity. They may have a role when it comes to your identity. Those things should not be the ultimate source of your identity. And the reason is simple. Is because our identity determines our devotion. Identity determines devotion. Whatever or whomever becomes the source of your identity, the ultimate source of your identity, will become the focus of your devotion. If the ultimate source of your identity is your gender, Everything in your life will be about that. If the ultimate source of your identity is your race, everything in your life will be about that. If the ultimate source of your identity is your status, 
your position, all your effort, all the conversations that you have, all your investment will be to build and maintain that because that is the thing that will matter to you. I'm a man. I'm a man. I know I'm a man. And as a man, I try to live and make choices that a mature man would do. Choices that a mature man would make. I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a friend. And if I were to draw my identity from being a man, if, if, if I were to draw and, and my ultimate source was my manhood, being a manly man, things would really get really weird. For starters, I have to grow a mustache. And I can't, so right there, failed. My, uh, my manly card would be revoked. But think with me. If being a man would be the ultimate thing for me, the ultimate thing that defines me, I would consider anything that stood in the way of my manhood my enemy, or at the very least, an obstacle, something that's standing against me. And I would have that sickening need to be the man everywhere I go. At work, with my friends, family. Listen, you can't be a good father with that kind of posture. That's how daddy issues are born. You can't, you can't be a good friend with that kind of posture because anybody else that threatens you that can become the man in anybody else's eyes, it's, you'd be, you, you, you will feel um, threatened. You would feel like you need to somehow uh, one-up that person. Same thing would happen if I would draw my identity from being a father. The moment I fail in being a father, which every father fails, the moment I fail in that, in that identity, I'd have a crisis of identity because the thing that I draw my identity from, the thing that defines me is the very thing that I failed. And so many people live like this when it comes to their career, when it comes to their job. Their title is what gives them identity. Their career is where they draw their sense of self from. If they have a good job, then they matter. If they have an important job, then their life is okay. If they lose that job, they lose all their confidence. Why is that? It's because we live in a world that is confused about where we draw our identity from. What is supposed to, to build our identity? But boy, do we respect a good job. Do we respect a good career? And that's important, of course. A good career is something to be proud of. A good career is something worth fighting for. A good career is a blessing. Sure it is. But a good career should not inform your identity. And the more successful you are, the more important this is. The more money you make, the more important this is. The more fame you have, the more influence you have, the more this will matter. And the temptation that we face is to draw our identity from what we do. And I want to talk to you today about why this matters. It's really important. There is a story in the scriptures 
that is found in the book of Daniel. It is the story of Daniel. And Daniel was a Hebrew young adult. He was what we would call an all-honors Ivy League student, a intellectual, uh, top-of-his-class, intelligent guy, educated young man, brilliant mind, a true project, prodigy. And at that time, when Daniel was in his uh, young adult phase, uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came and besieged Jerusalem, capital of Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar took all the best and brightest minds, he took the best and brightest minds, minds to Babylon and ordered them to get into a three-year intensive learning the history, literature, and the way of the Chaldeans. They were supposed to spend three years being educated daily. And the king's goal was basically to re-educate them. And you might say that the king's goal was to give them a new identity, to replace their Hebrew identity with the Babylonian identity. And that was the goal for Daniel. So much so that he gave Daniel a new name. Belteshazzar was his name, his, his Babylonian name. But here's the thing about Daniel. Even though he was smart, educated, came from Jerusalem, was a Hebrew young man, he didn't draw his identity from any of those things. His identity was, his source was God. So when those things were removed from him, it didn't shake his identity. It didn't change him. It didn't shake him to his core. It was sure a difficult time. It was a very difficult time. But Daniel still knew who he was. He didn't have a city. He didn't have a country. He didn't have uh, his hometown anymore. He didn't have his family with him. He didn't have his degree. They were trying to replace his education. Who was Daniel? If he were to build his, his identity on those things, he would have been in trouble. But he didn't. Daniel's identity was his relationship with God. And so Daniel rejected the king's pleasures, mainly anything that came between his devotion to God. Him and his devotion to God. Nebuchadnezzar, on the other hand, the king, he lived differently. His identity was deeply rooted in who he was as a king. His job gave him identity. His job was the source of his entire sense of self. He enacted laws, erected gods, and all of those things reflected the fact that he was a very narcissistic, self-centered person who found his identity in his power. And he led people in a way that reflected that. Scripture uh, says in Daniel 4, verses 28 through 32, the following. <coughs> Excuse me, not COVID. <clears throat> All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of, of Babylon. Something about kings and roof. This don't go well. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my might and power as royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouths, mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. 
And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar defined himself by the power and might of his kingdom. He not only took credit for it, but all he could see was himself as a result of it. He built the kingdom. He ruled the world. He had, was the head of the empire. He believed that because of all of it, he was full of glory and majesty. And what we learn from the scriptures is that the kind of pride that entered his, his heart turned him into a monster. The kind of narcissism that involved him turned him into a beast. And that's the fruit that happens when we draw our identity from our work. It's, if, we're, if we succeed, pride has a foothold in our hearts. If we don't succeed, the opposite. We feel like we don't matter. We feel like our, our sense of self is completely destroyed. We feel like our life has no purpose or meaning. So, how do we avoid this pitfall? of making our jobs and careers the ultimate thing that determine our identity. Three things I need you to understand today. We're going to go through them. First, very simply, I'm going to make this practical for you. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. See, some people, they want answers for what to do. And that might be what drove you to a relationship with God. That might be what drove you here today. You want answers for what to do. God, what do I do about this problem? What do I do about this situation? And you want the practical answer so that because you're a doer and, and you want it done. And that's not a bad pursuit. It's good to desire action. But when it comes to God, and some of you have already found this out, who you are matters more. And so you might be in a situation when you have somebody in your life that you want Gone. And this is where you can, find, you can find that it's both a Christian foundation and a Christian frustration. Because you might have somebody in your life that's really testing you. Maybe a boss, maybe a supervisor, maybe a co-worker, maybe somebody under you. And you're like, God, please, I just need this person gone from my life. They are a pebble in my shoe, more like a nail in my foot. And how can I, what do I need to do, God, to just remove this annoyance, remove this person from out of my life? And God says, absolutely nothing. I want you to pray for that person. I want you to pray for your enemies. Why? Because for God, who you are always trumps what you do. What you do matters. Of course it matters. But who you are is more important. So are you patient? Have you ever actually prayed for your enemies? The answer is yes. He'll test you on it. If the answer is no, he'll develop you on it. Either way, who you are matters more. So God may say in your heart, before you scheme your way out of this one, how about you allow me to use this person to develop your character? And we don't like that. God, can't you just 
give me my character like osmosis? Can you just infuse me with character? Can you just give me what I need and not have me go through this situation? Can I just have those qualities without the test, without this person in my life? Here's what you're actually praying. Jesus, can I be like you, but sans Judas? Sans, I'm using Latin now, super fancy. Sans the, the, the lawyers that came to test you. We will have situations in our lives that will develop our character because it's not really about what you do. It's about who you are. And God does, does care about what you do. But it's who you are that, that should shape your work life. Bring this to the context of the message. It's not the other way around. Your job, your work, your career be, uh, becomes your... If your job, your work, your career becomes the sole source of your identity, that will become the foundation of your life. That becomes the thing that defines you. And how can you influence it and change it when it becomes such an important thing and such an important part of your life. How can you shape the thing that shapes you? You're trapped. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, God has called you to be the light. He has called you, not your title, not your degree, not your accomplishments, but you. What you do might be special. What you do might be noble. It might be bring you pleasure. It might bring you fulfillment. And those things are important. That's good. But you are the one who brings God's virtues to your workplace. You're the one who brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're the one who brings those things to your job, to your career, to your places of work. You're the light in that environment. Your job is not the light in you. You're the light in your job. Does that make sense? You bring joy to it. You bring goodness to it. You are the source that brings those things, these virtues. The light that illuminates the hearts and the spirits of your co-workers comes from the life of God in you. And sometimes we expect our careers and our jobs, we, we place do, if we place due importance in it, sure, those things are important. But if we, important, but if we place undue importance, we try to extract from our jobs the things that we are supposed to bring to it. And God is calling us to understand that if we have the life of God, we are the ones bringing meaning and joy to our occupations everywhere. Number two, you have a godly call in a career first. Above your occupation, above what you do for a living, above the things that occupies most of your time during the week, you have a godly call. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Those are the three things that God 
has employed us to do. And each of us, each one of us has been called. We have a calling from God to practice these things everywhere we go. We have already been hired. You know how we get the jobs report every quarter? In the heavenly quarter, the jobs, the unemployment report is always zero. We're all hired. We all have a job. We all have something that God wants us to do. The problem is the performance report. The problem is like, uh, are we actually doing what we have been called to do? It is the call of God that informs your career. It is the call of God in you that informs what you do at work. It is the call of God in your heart that informs your attitude, that informs how you interact with your coworkers, that informs how you act toward those that are your customers and people that you work with. The call of God in you informs how you treat a coworker, how you approach your work's mission, how you lead, and also how you follow. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before your God. What does that mean? Do justice. You do what's right. You value integrity and good character. You decide that you will be the person who God has called to do the right thing. And you decide that that will be a reputation. He's the guy, she is the girl who does what's right. And before long, you will see your reputation, your, your, your word will matter. And at work, you will defend the weak, or you will lift the fallen, and you will do your best to expose injustice. As you do that, as you do justice, you also love kindness. You're not a merciless justice person. But you love kindness. Why? That means you value people. You treat people with respect. Because you know that every human being, every person has intrinsic value. They might be broken, hurt. They might even be proud. And they might even be wrong. They might be on the wrong side. But above all that, they have the breath of God in their heart. And whether they are aware of it or not, God has a purpose for their life. Jesus died for them too. Salvation is for them as well. Restoration is for them as well. Redemption is for them as well. So yes, you stand for justice and you stand against wrongdoing. But you do it in loving kindness. While you love kindness. And lastly, you walk humbly before your God. That means you don't walk like Nebuchadnezzar. But you walk, like, you walk like Daniel, completely aware that every single one of your talents, your capabilities, your health, every, every single one of those things that you have no control over, they have come from Almighty God. Every gift you have, every ability you have, God has given it to you so that you can make an impact in the world. That's your calling above your job, above your career. And that should inform how you live your days and how you work and how you interact with other people. And lastly, number three is this. Very simply, your identity. Where does it come from? Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Jesus. Listen, you can search the world. You can try to make your career the source of your identity. You can try to make your family name reputation, the source of your identity. 
and try to make your politics the source of your identity, your education, your nationality, your gender, sexuality, your intellect, your status. You can make all those things. None of them will give you the life, the peace, and the foundation that you're looking for. They're not. And if you're not a church person, there's so much in the world that can make you a skeptical of church these days, skeptical of God. Or maybe you've been a church person before and you might have had a bad history with church and church people. And that pushed you away from God. I love making the scriptures practical. I love drawing the truth from the scriptures and, and give you something that you can actually do Monday through Friday. The outworking of the word of God. But none of it works if the life of God, the life of Christ, is not active within you. The life of Christ has to be active within you. This is not some psychological strategy. You do this and you get that. This is a relationship with God. And a relationship is what brings identity. So the outworking of a healthy identity that can withstand the storms of life like Daniel faced. And the worst that life can throw at you, it comes from an active and vibrant relationship with God. You can be a follower of Jesus one day and receive a revelation about your life, about your past, that can change your life forever. The Holy Spirit can just open your eyes to something that happened to you. He can heal you of, of some trauma that you had, and immediately your life can be changed. One day. Or you can be a Christian your whole life. Attend services. Go to church. Listen to messages. But if there's no prayer, if there's no life of God, if there's no pursuit of God, if there's no engagement, if there's no awareness, if there's no consciousness of the life of God in you daily, it's a mute point. It'll be dead religion. It'll be behavior modification by human, human effort. And it's not supposed to be that way. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Holy Spirit is alive and well today, giving us the inspiration to live. And some of you, you've been trying to figure out life for so, so long. You've been trying to find who you are deeply for so long. And you've been searching and searching and searching. And I'm here to tell you today, Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. The Apostle Paul writes, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, he says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ in God, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love this scripture. I love this scripture because it, it details for you how it happens. It is in the dying to self, not the glorifying self, 
Not the elevating self, but it's in the dying to self. What it means? It means that it's when your pride dies, when your prejudices die, when your preconceived ideas die, when your addictions die, when your hangups die, when your selfishness die, when those things die. As you allow those things to die daily, you will make room for the life of Christ to grow and flourish in your heart. And your life, the life you desire, the life you've been looking for, the identity that you're searching will spring up in that moment. See, your life, the life you desire, sometimes we have this illusion that it's, it's hidden behind something else. So we go on the search and we spend our resources, we spend our time, we spend our energy on the hope because it must be hidden somewhere else. It, maybe it's hidden in a career. If I, if, I, if I give my life to this career, I will find it. Maybe my, the life that I desire is, is hidden behind some level of respect. If I can be seen a certain way, then maybe I will find it. Or maybe it's hidden in, in, in the moment that I prove to my parents that they were wrong. The moment that, I, that I'm allowed to prove to everybody who didn't believe in me that they were wrong, that's when I will find it. The life you desire, it's not hidden in those things. It's not hidden in money. It's not hidden in fancy things. It's not hidden in popularity. The life that you desire, the identity that you yearn for is hidden in Christ. It's in Him. And when the life of Christ begins to appear in you, that means when you begin to think like Him, when you begin to act like Him, when you begin to shine His light, that's when your life will also appear. That's what the Scripture says. See, we're not little Jesus clones. None of Jesus' disciples were, exa were exactly like him in that, in that regard. But there's something about the principles, the values, the way you see life, the way you connect to God, the way the power of God flows through you. It's the way you forgive. It's the way you judge. It's the way you befriend. It's the way you live. That's how the love and the life of Christ springs up within you. And that's when you appear. Still in your uniqueness. Still in the way that God designed you to be. And I believe that this is what the world is looking for. So remember. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Remember that you have a godly call. And a godly career before your earthly call. In your earthly career. And three, remember that your identity is in Christ. And if you keep those things in your heart, if you take this to your heart, no matter what you do for a living, no matter if you are someone who's very successful leading a division or you're leading your own company, or maybe you're still figuring it out, you're still in college, you're still studying, maybe you just have a job that is, it's your beginning job, that you will flourish there. You will find purpose and meaning, and you will find the life of God there, and you will become who God has created and called you to be. Do you receive it this morning? Amen.
Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.